Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. I'm Chrissy Jumbowski and have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. One of us is in the school-age day-to-day of parenting. And one of us is on the other side now. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Chrissy. And this is Beth Ann. And today we are talking with Holly O'Connell from A Path to Hope, one of our CTC partners. Holly, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. We're very excited that you're here to talk about A Path to Hope and to help us with resources for parents and families. Um, Can you give us a little background on the story of why you started A Path to Hope and what led you to continue with this work in our community? Sure, I'd be happy to. So A Path to Hope started in 2018. Um, Our family found ourselves in need of mental health services for one of our family members. And as a nurse, uh, I found it extremely difficult to access accurate information, resources, even where to start. Um, You know, if it was a a cardiology issue or a suspected diabetes or something, I would have known exactly what to do. This had me completely baffled. So after things settled down for us uh, about a year later, and actually after I complained about the system forever to my friends at work, my Uh, one of my friends looked at me one day and she said, then do something. And literally it was those words. So I went home and I made a Facebook page and I had a couple friends come over and made a little presentation and just kind of taught them everything I had learned over that past year. Um, And during that same time, I'm sure you will recall Downingtown East had lost four teens to death by suicide in about 10 months. So we were in crisis. Our town was in crisis. Our community was in crisis. So I really felt I needed to do something to open up the conversation and just start that process of what do I do now? And obviously that's, you know, what drives me today to continue. Things are thankfully doing very well for my family member right now. He's doing great, but the the problem still exists. So, and we've made such progress in gathering such a great network of providers. Mm -hmm. So there is help out there. It's just connecting people with that help. No, I think that's a really great point that you made. I think so many of our nonprofit organizations um, happen because of personal experience, personal loss or difficulties or challenges. And it's not until we need those services or have to act, try to access them for our family and friends that we kind of realize what's there and what's not there and where the gaps are. And there may be resources, but when you're in crisis, it's so difficult to kind of navigate what's happening with your emotions, and then how do you navigate these really complicated systems that are out there? And as we're finding now that so many of these systems are stretched, there's just not enough resources or there, there aren't enough professionals or providers that have the capacity to do more as we're seeing now in the community. So but I find that a number of our speakers on the podcast um, have had similar um experiences as far as how their organization got started or how they came to be a part of that organization. And it seems to be driven by personal experiences um, and, and wanting to sort of be part of the solution to help others. And, and it's funny you should say that because 
I never had a passion for mental health in nursing school. It was my least favorite rotation. I didn't, mm. I didn't grasp it. I didn't get it. Um, and then until it hit home, it was not something I really gave a second thought to until it was, you know, it was in my face. So, mm-hmm. um, this was, like I said, this is not something I ever thought I would have to advocate for, but, um, I'm certainly glad I have a voice to be able to do that now. I was going to ask you that, Holly, because you are a nurse, right? So you work in the healthcare field. So was there a point at which you kind of felt like, how can I work in healthcare? And there's a disconnect here. I would, shoulda, coulda, woulda. How come I didn't learn more about this back when I was in school or beginning, you know, my career? Did you feel like there should have been more preparation being a healthcare you know, professional? I feel that it wasn't as prevalent when I was in college Mm -hmm. so that the rotation was more um, clinical in nature. We were in, I was placed for a clinical in an intensive care unit in a, in a um, quote unquote mental hospital in Rhode Island. And it was very um, clinical. It wasn't, you didn't go through the, the signs and symptoms of there's Before no prevention piece it was of it. more crisis intervention. Kind it was of the thing. treatment piece of it, not the prevention piece of it. Exactly. And I, I really, it was something, you know, people didn't talk about. People mm-hmm. didn't acknowledge it. It wasn't part of your, um, even your um, patient assessment when you were in med surge or whatever. It wasn't a, a typical part of that assessment. Now it is. Mm-hmm. I work in a primary care office now as a nurse, and it's very much a part of our assessment. We always ask uh, those questions, but they weren't, it wasn't asked back then. So I don't think I was in tuned to those um, signs and symptoms as I probably should have been. It's interesting because you, you work in healthcare, you know what I mean? So it's like, but it's just, and you don't know until you don't know what you don't know. And it's just one of those things where you can't assume because someone may work in some section of healthcare that they are able to even navigate the whole mental health, behavioral health, drug and alcohol system because, and I think that might be shifting a little bit and you might be able to speak to that better than I um, in what you're seeing. Like even you said the assessments are different now that where it's included with screenings Mm -hmm. and those types of things, but where for so long it was just so separate. And now luckily that is shifting to more of a focus on prevention, focus on early intervention, those types of things. but yeah, it's one of those things until you need that information when you need it, it's like, how do I not know this? Where do I begin? Where do I start? Right. And in every other discipline, there's so many, you know, um, signs and symptoms that are, it's like cookbook. Like if you, if your mm. if your blood levels are this, then you do this. If your x-ray shows this, then you do this. There's not that, um, it's all subjective with mental yep. health. So you don't have that, that concrete yeah. evidence, if you will, to, to, make those assumptions about what's going on. And it's also very complex. It's not cut and dry. So, you know, there's, there's so many different layers to mental health issues that um, lead to choices in how people cope with it. Do they cope with it through drug and alcohol? Do they cope with it through um, dietary changes or excessive exercise or um, acting out in any number of ways, anger, sexuality, anything. So it's so complex that, it's not, um, I found it incredibly different than anything I had ever worked with as a nurse. And I've been a nurse for 26 years. Mm. Um, but it was, is just completely different. And like I said, I, I literally didn't even know where to begin mm. to find him help. So when you look back, 
on this road and on this path, right? As a parent, it's easier now to go back and say, well, if only I had known this or, or saw this or recognized this or maybe went with my gut on something or um, what would you kind of, what, from your experience, want to, sh- to say to parents that perhaps when you have younger children um, might be the time to, to kind of pay attention to some of these things before the middle school years, the high school years, because a lot of times I feel like with mental health, that it's like an iceberg. Things are happening underneath that water, and maybe you don't see the behaviors to middle school or high school, whether it's acting out or cutting or, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the failing grades, the isolation, any of those kinds of things. But yet, that's underneath of that, this was starting from perhaps a younger age. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of can look back and reverse your, you know, the last so many years, I think what might be helpful there. I think you're absolutely right. There's so many things that I, I see now that um, could have been red flags. That And I have the advice I give to parents now when I speak with them is I never thought to bring these conversations up at home when they were little. So if we can give them the vocabulary to understand what they're feeling, kids aren't going to know what anxiety or depression or this or that. But if you give them the words and start talking about it. So it's a normalized conversation at home. Then you can, we used to call it our heart alarm. Like, is your heart alarm going off? I never knew what I was saying, but like, I think it was meaning like that anxiety, that nervousness, but if there's so many great books out there now for young kids with, uh, about expressions and about, uh, you know, understanding what they're feeling. And if there's anything I can say is start those conversations, use the dinner table, use those rides to, to soccer practice, utilize that time to just say, you know, so many times we'd sit around the dinner table and I'd say, you know, what did you, uh, how was school today? How was your test? You know, how was practice? But I never said, did anything make you nervous today? Did anything scare you? Right. Yeah. Were you upset about anything? So starting to bring those conversations into normal everyday um speech, I think will help kids not only realize that it's okay to talk about them because Mm -hmm. my parents talk about it, but also if you can say, you know what, I was watching TV today and I got so anxious after hearing all this COVID stuff. How how do you feel about that? Bringing up so that they understand you also have these feelings Mm -hmm. and it's not unusual. And so if they're questioning what's going on in their own mind, they can say, wait, you know what? My mom just said, that makes her nervous too. I wonder if that's what I'm feeling. Maybe I should talk to her about it. Um, and I think just, you know, getting that conversation out there, nobody talked about this. I mean, it's not like you can go to a cocktail party and say, you know, who do you use for a therapist or, you know, you know, it, you, you just don't, but you would have no problem saying, who's your cardiologist. Right. You right. Never right. Think twice oh, what gym are you going never. to? What's your new workout? Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. But absolutely. God forbid you admit yeah. a flaw that you have anxiety. Yeah. So, um, you know, until we can get that normalized, um, because I think the more we normalize it, pe- people are going to have the courage to speak out and say, wow, I need some help. Hey, Holly, I want to make an observation and tell me what you think about this. It's just, you just said something that, that triggered this. Out of all of our podcasts and parenting programs that we've been doing now since the start of this, this school year, the common theme has been conversation, mm-hmm. listening, mm-hmm. having the time and space, yep. um, all, you know, to do these things, your comfort level, how to handle the uncomfortable conversations, all of that. But have you had this observation at all in your work with kids? And I noticed this now, my children are, are, you know, young adults, 24 and 27. 
And one of the things that I observed when they were in high school was their comfort level at the conversations that we're saying right now, parents have a difficult time having. My children were totally comfortable with their friends who were saying, I have to go see my therapist. Um, they're adjusting my medication for X. Mm. Um, I've got to go to see the nurse because it's time for me to take. I, I mean, it was quite normal, comfortable. They had the language and nobody batted an eye. And I remember at the time I was sort of like, is that okay? Mm. Like, are we supposed to be that comfortable with this? Mm-hmm. Is that too public? Um, but yet, and now I've had this conversation with them. They're out of college. It continued. And I find that in their friend group now, their comfort level the stigma among that age group, their group is not there. They mm-hmm. are comfortable asking for help. They are comfortable sharing. So is this, I hate to be like this generational thing all the time. Mm. And But have you made any of those observations about kids versus parents? I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But I think, um, you know, that, that tween age, that teen years, I think that they're becoming more comfortable with it. But I think we even have to start younger than that. Mm-hmm. I think we have to start with the, the, you know, the school age kids, the preschool kids starting to give them so that they can still have that comfort level. Um, I do think that sometimes, and, and I've noticed this with my own kids, they get upset when people use the word anxiety freely. You know, I've noticed that they're like, you know, my friend said she's anxious. She doesn't yes. know what that means. That's not, that's not anxiety, you know, and I think they get, they get protective of, of the terms almost um, yes, because of, point. of the, you know, the severity of things that we're seeing. And, and they're like, that's not what that really means. So that was interesting to me. I, I was really, I was uh, quite surprised when I heard, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter talking about that, but, um, but I, I think, I do think the culture has shifted. I mean, you're seeing professional athletes, you're seeing, you know, um, yes. actresses and actors and ad- admit that they, you know, that they're struggling. And I think that's huge, mm-hmm. but you still have that, that stigma of parents, I think more getting help for their children. You know, I, I have so many people that have called me and I've spoken to them and they, you know, they almost like justify it. Well, they're not getting out of bed, but maybe that's just normal for them or, mm. you know, they're, they're not playing their favorites for Maybe that's just normal or, you know, they've had suicidal ideation, but they're not going to do that. You know, it's almost like justifying because they're almost, they're afraid of admitting that exactly. there might be an issue um, in going down that path. But if there's anything I can say is if your child is having suicidal ideation, it is take it seriously you know, don't, don't wait, you know, really get that checked out because that's not something that is said lightly. You know, I right. think that's something that's uh, needs attention immediately. So. And I think that takes us to sort of our next question. Oh, Chrissy, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did you... I was, the only thing I was going to add was just um, with the younger kids and starting conversations is you just something that you said, Holly, that just made me think of talking about feelings more often and starting these conversations earlier was um, when you think about, you know, in conversations and instead of like switching things that may be focused on what did you do and achievement kind of shift it to, well, how did that make you feel? So it's like, Hey, we went to the soccer game, your team won, maybe you made the winning goal, whatever it is, you know, instead of being like, you did such a great job, you won the game instead kind of shift the, the, the language to say, Hey, you guys are really great today. How did that feel to win? 
Or how did it feel to lose mm-hmm. instead of, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, and really focusing on instead of the thing that happened, the feeling behind it, whether it was positive or negative. Because then it, it kind of focuses on just shifting that language away from good, bad, high, low, you know, to more mm-hmm. of identifying those feelings. I have a funny story about that because when this was several years ago, but it was like in middle school and we were, it, it was at a cross country race. And you know how the big push on everyone is a participant, everyone wins, everyone gets the trophy kind of thing. Yeah. So my daughter had a race and it was not a good day for her. She just had had a bad race. And at the end of it, she's handed a participation um, medal. Medal. Mm-hmm. Well, she took that thing and put it right in the trash. She's like, participation. She's like, I, I don't want a participation medal. I don't need a participation. I didn't have a good day. I didn't yeah. have, you know. Uh, I'm fine. I don't need a part. She was so insulted about this. It was hysterical. We were cracking up. We're like, it's not really the whole point. We're trying to build you up. She's like, I don't need any participation medal. I know I participated. I didn't have a good day and I'm fine with that. It was hysterical. Lesson learned. That's a good lesson learned. It was, it was interesting, but I was, was (laughs) we always, we still crack about crack up about the participation medal. So. Oh, that's uh, And you didn't dig it out of the trash. No, no. I was (laughs) proud of her. I was like, I was cracking up. She's like, it was so funny. That was, it was really funny. It was good. To follow up with what you just said, though, Chrissy, I think you have to balance this, though, between asking too many, like, like you're a therapist. Yes. Like, I mean, like, I, I, when I want to talk to my, my kids, and yeah. now it's very funny to be on the other side where they are older and they can laugh and point out to me at times I thought I was doing such a great job, where I was clearly, <laughs> clearly a hot mess. Or, uh, and, and I think you just have to be careful, right? Because otherwise... They used to ask me, like, turn off your teacher mode. So Mm. when you teach all day, when I taught all day, came home, it was really hard to get out of that, like, teacher questioning mode. And I had to be careful because I never shut it off. So I had to think the conversations have to flow. Like Holly's saying, you know, when you're in a car, you're going on a hike, you're whatever you're doing, casual. If it looks too pointed and direct, like, so how'd that make you feel? Were you, you I, I just, I feel like sometimes I took it a little too far. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're so right. Cause after, you know, when we were in the throes of it and I was trying to, you know, make up for lost time, my little one looked at me, she goes, don't ask. I'm not anxious. I'm not depressed. I'm fine. Don't ask me again. I was like, okay, point taken. I got it. It was hysterical. Gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the other thing I would always do with the kids is, is, you know, I would, it's like when Holly was saying, oh, you know, I saw something on the news and you know, the reaction to that, I was always terrible with same thing. I was listening to NPR. Uh I heard the story about this (laughs) awful, right. Or, um, whatever it may be. I was reading a research article today and you know what it said about, about mental health and suicide and young adults. Should we be talking about this? So they were just to the point where they said, you need to promise us you will stop reading research articles and stop listening to NPR. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just do two things for us and leave us alone. So I think sometimes for professionals, like, you know, that this is your background. It's a little bit trickier yeah, to navigate. Well, that. and I think too, that we've had so many common themes with all of these, you know, all of our guests have the crux of it has always been here. Talk to your kids, have conversations early and often. Here's a script of things to say, but it's also, again, like you said, that balance of, I don't need to have my script every single day, every conversation, every interaction. It's kind of just being aware and trying to find those natural points but I don't know just 
yeah, we don't need to add more stress and more things to do, right? Like just that balance, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think then from this conversation, one of the, the questions that we're often asked is, what do I do if I trust my gut or I love the heart alarm? Mm-hmm. Love that, that, um, that analogy there. Um, if I do recognize that there are some red flags or signs that could be a potential problem, what would be the first thing? You know, cause sometimes you think the first thing is I'm going to go to Google and Google all of this. Right. But no, please no, do not see? go to Google, please, okay. whatever you do, do right. not go there. So think- what would you say is first step? I think the very first step is to to walk into your child's room and sit down on the bed and have a conversation. Look, I'm seeing that you're really sad. I'm seeing that you're not getting out of bed. You need to tell me what's going on. Like, what can, you don't have to feel this way. We can get you some help. What's going on? What can I do to help you? Um, and, and start there. And if you're not getting anywhere, at least they know that you're aware that there's an issue um, and that you're, you care. I love you. I care about you. I, I want to make this better. You, you got to let me know what's going on. Let, let's figure this out. And if you can't get anywhere, then start with your pediatrician. Make sure there's nothing else going on. Um, but don't ignore it. Don't just shut the door behind you and, and say, let's see what happens. Don't ignore it. Um, it. It's, you know, if your child can't function, people say, how do you know the difference? And I'm not a mental health professional. Let me just put that out there. I am not a mental health professional. I don't pretend to be. I'm a mom who's been through this. I've talked to so many other parents, but if your child is not able to function, Mm. if your child can't get out of bed to go to school, if they're not dealing with their hygiene, if they're not, you know, hanging out with their friends like they used to, if they're not doing what they used to love to do, that's an issue. That's a problem. And, you know, yes, teenagers are tired. They sleep all the time. But if they can't get out of bed, if they're not joining the family for meals like they used to do, if they're not, you know, they're constantly missing class because they physically can't get out of bed, that's a problem, you know. And even before it gets to that point, if you're noticing changes in behavior, subtle things, that's when you dive in and say, what's going on? Let's, let's, Let's talk about this. Let's, you know, and it's hard. And people say, you know, what about going to a therapist? If you feel like you need to get to that point, if you don't make that first appointment successful, good luck getting them mm, back. So true. do everything you can to get that Very first true. appointment to be as successful as you can. Do your research ahead of time. If you're starting to notice things, that's almost too late to start looking mm-hmm. for a therapist. Get right. your ducks in a row, have a list in case you ever need them. So if you need them, you can just go and look at their profiles. Go to psychology.org or I'm sorry, yes. psychology, psychology today, today is a great website. Mm-hmm. NAMI is a great website. Mm-hmm. Look at their profiles, look at, read their bios, see if there's anything that can connect that child. Cause a lot of time they'll have, you know, I'm an avid runner. I like to read mm-hmm. books. I'm a right. fan any hook that you can get and then narrow it down to a couple. And then when it's time, have your child look at the profiles with you and then do those free phone consultations. I can't tell you how much you can Mm. get out of those free phone calls conversations, even for a couple minutes. I mean, I remember looking for a therapist and I call these three therapists. The first one was like, Oh oh God, I'm so busy. I don't know. Like maybe Tuesday (laughs) at two. I'm like, okay, click. Click. The next uh, one was like, okay, well, my fee schedule is this, and I only take cash, and I have you have to pay up front, and I don't take insurance. Okay, click. No. The next one was like, 
Oh, I'm so glad you called me. Tell me about your son. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about, you know, what he's been dealing with. I would let, let him meet me, have him come in, let him meet me. Let's see if we, and that's the one we went with. So, yeah. you know, it's important. It's important to do your due diligence because if you're yeah. just picking a name out of a hat, forget it. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not like going to a pediatrician or a cardiologist. If that first interaction isn't positive, good you're luck. right. You're right to really find that, that therapist that connects um, because mm-hmm. it's, you're vulnerable. You yeah. as a parent, but that child is now vulnerable because that's not a conversation that you, you know, you're not, you don't typically have. Right. So right. it's not the same as you said, as going to a pedi- going to the pediatrician or the dentist or someone, or, you know, comfort level you might have with a teacher or a coach. And you're right. If it's a negative experience, why would any of us want to repeat it? And you might and you- be surprised if you're, you know, you might say, would you rather talk to a man or a woman, you might be surprised yeah. or an older or younger or, you know, so really get their input because they have to form that relationship. Um, and it, you'd be, you know, you'd really be surprised if once you start looking and, and going through the, the, um, the process with your child, what they choose. Right. You're right. Cause it's all new. You really don't know what to expect. So Holly, what would you say to a parent that maybe sees these different warning signs tries to have the conversation with their child. Their kid has just continued to be shut down. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll, I'll make up my grades. I'll do extra credit. I'll, it'll be fine. And they kind of just shove you off a bit. What would you say? How would you recommend a parent handle that if they can't, you know, work with them one-on-one and might need to seek out this professional help? I would have to say that's, that's a very difficult situation and it happens a lot. But what I can say is don't ignore it. Try to find someone that your child can feel comfortable talking with. If it's uh, a relative, it's a coach, it's a teacher, someone that can just make that connection with your child and, and see what's going on. And maybe then just by talking to them, maybe then they would agree but sometimes you do have to push the issue. If, if you're fearing for their safety, if you're fearing that they're, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol, if they're um, unhealthy eating habits, whatever it is that you do have to step in, you do have to force the issue. Um, and, you know, if your child's not 18, you, you do have that right to, to bring them to a, a physician. Like I said, start with your pediatrician mm-hmm. and, and have them evaluated there and, and see what happens. But don't ignore it. You know, it's, it's, it's not something you can shut the door and come back and, oh, you know, a couple of days, it's going to be better. If they're not functioning, then that's an issue. All right. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk to Holly a little bit more about Path to Hope. If you're enjoying our podcast, an easy way to support parent to parent is by sharing it with a friend. You can send it to them in a text from your phone or even better, post an episode you liked on social media. Maybe it's this one. Our goal is to increase education and awareness among parents, and as we always say, you don't know what you don't know, and some people may not know we are out there. Any shout-outs and sharing is appreciated. Thanks, and let's get back to our conversation. And we're back with Holly from A Path to Hope. So, Holly, my next question for you is, what has surprised you the most during the past few years since you started A Path to Hope? I would have to say the age at which children are starting to show symptoms of anxiety and depression. I've had moms call me with kids 
as young as five, seven, eight, and nine with suicidal thoughts or verbalizing suicidal thoughts. And that, it just, it just boggles my mind. And it's also been very surprising at the number of people that are still so afraid to seek services for their kids. They're so afraid to take that step. Um, I'll talk to parents at length and they'll be worried and I'll give them resources and I'll follow up a couple weeks later and it's on my list or I haven't gotten to that yet. Mm. Um, and I think it's all fear. I think it's all fear related. I think that people are afraid to have their children labeled. Mm. I think they're afraid to have that diagnosis written in a chart or even a suspected diagnosis. I think they think it's going to carry with them or negatively impact their future somehow. Um, and that, that has surprised me the most. And, you know, I, I can't say how I would have felt years and years ago uh, if I had been more in tune to things going on and, and had, um, re, you know, looked into it further. But I can imagine how it would be scary. But now I think it's also things are so real now. There's such a high suicide rate mm. that I, I think we have to put aside those fears and just act and no matter what that looks like. And there's, especially for younger kids, there's so many different outlets that don't have to look like traditional therapy. There's mm. equestrian therapy and there's karate and there's yoga and there's art and music and anything that can get these kids talking in a way they don't even realize they're in therapy. Mm. You know, there's um, there's so many different things now that are, are really interesting to see um, and are making a big difference. You know, if, if these kids can connect with something, what is their passion? If their passion is Legos, find a play therapist that works with Legos. If their passion is, you know, they love dancing and listen, then find that musical therapist or that um, art therapist, something that they can connect to and and they won't even realize they're, they're in therapy when they're that young. So, Holly, when did you start a Path to Hope? What year? 2018 and became uh, the, you know, September, October, 2018 and became a 501 C three early 2019. Okay. So it's only, so it's been the past three ish years. Yeah. So not that long. No, but to see that trend, I think that does match up with mm -hmm. what we're seeing in the field as far as reports, statistics, of course you throw in the pandemic in there. That's exacerbating all people of all ages, their mental health status and well-being. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, five, five years old, five, six, yeah, seven. It's sad. Yeah, and it's amazing how things have changed in just those three years. Mm. Now, I said I didn't know what I was doing at all, what I, what I was looking for, but quickly started making connections. There are so many new things that have popped up in the past. I would say two years. So many new programs and. Um, you know, different, different types of treatments, different modalities, but especially like intensive outpatient programs and partial hospitalization programs, which are programs that are several hours a day, either after school or during school, and they incorporate classes in those. So there's so many different options now that weren't there even two years ago that um, encompass so many different age groups, like specific groups for 19 to 23 year olds and specific groups for 12 to 17 year olds. Because you think about it, a 16 year old doesn't belong 
in a group with 19 to 23 year olds as a 23 year old doesn't belong in a group with a 16 year old. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing that starting to see that separation now and inclusive things like eating disorder treatment for males and females, because it's Mm. not all, you know, it's not only females that deal with these things. So it's really, it's, it's hopeful for me to see the new uh, providers that are coming out and new programs. Um, So that's, that's very encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. And I think Holly, with that, with all of the new, as you mentioned, new resources, new programs. Now I think in my mind is where a path to hope comes in because you're kind of giving folks that roadmap or sort of that, you know, how do I then like, okay, I have a situation. I know I need to respond, but now I have to navigate. And where's there sort of like a, a clearing house or one stop, one stop, you know, that I could go to and shop for all of this without on my own, just going through the internet repeatedly, you know, looking for things. So what can you tell us um, as far as a path to hopes, like primary purpose and what you provide and also share a little bit with us about your, which is very exciting, your new center for hope and what's going to be happening there so that our listeners can share that information with their family and friends also. Yes, yeah, so proud of what we've we've been able to accomplish in the past couple of years. So the the bread and butter, I would say, of a path to hope is is our website. And it is at one stop shop. So when you have that question, what do I do now? Go to the website. We spell out exactly where to start, even as simple as definitions. What is an intensive outpatient program? What is a partial hospitalization program? I had no idea what they were. Mm -hmm. So we spell it all out. And what's the difference between a licensed professional counselor and a psychologist and a psychiatrist? So we have all those definitions broken down for you so that you can become an educated consumer. How to deal with insurance. We have links on our website to different insurance agencies and their their provider search so that you can find an in-network provider. We have tips on submitting your paperwork for getting reimbursed. Make sure you get those ICD-10 codes. Make sure it's signed. Make sure um, your everything's dotted and crossed. Make sure you have copies. We literally spell out everything for you. And then we have, um, we're going to have a link to a PDF of all the providers that we've built a, a list of a resource list um, broken down by specialty. So if you're looking for a psychiatrist, we have lists of those and you're looking for different programs. So you don't have to do those searches. We've already done those searches for you and it's in one place. And we are having back this year, our mental health resource fair on March 19th, which I'm so excited about. And you, you all will be part of that. And it's going to, we're going to have over 50 providers this year, all related awesome. to mental health services. And and really exciting this year is in addition to that, in a different part of Lionville Middle School, we're going to have a career fair for kids that college might not be on their radar. So we're going to show them what other options are available, apprenticeships, good paying jobs, uh, trade schools, military, all these kinds of things so that we can empower our kids to be just as proud of following their passion or or, or being able to provide for their family at a young age as they are if they had the ability or the desire to go desire. to college. Some kids don't want to go to college. Right. And that's perfectly fine. And they should be just as proud of that choice as they are if they are choose to go to school. So we want to empower these kids to follow those paths. Um, and we have about 
10 right now. I'm hoping for 20 different options uh, for kids, ranging from we have um, barber schools and cosmetology schools and um, electric, electrical and HVAC and all kinds of things. So Wow, that's so exciting. I love that. We have the Philadelphia Police okay. Academy coming, so I'm excited about that. And our new Center for Hope, which we just opened on November 1st, is right between the Target and Buckman Ski Shop on Route 100 in Exton. Mm -hmm. It's 1,300 square feet. We have a room specifically for support groups, which we're going to start in January. We have a room specifically for um, presentations where we can hold about 25 people and do monthly presentations. Hopefully someday in person, we're going to start them off in Zoom. We have a private room where you can come make an appointment with the therapist, do a telehealth session in the privacy so you don't have to hide in your basement or, I mean, I have parents wow. from their bathrooms, uh -huh. their closets, hiding in your car. car. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. Mm -hmm. And we have, yeah, we have open office hours every Wednesday from 10 to one where my assistant director, Carmen and I will be there. If you want to come vent, get some resources, look through our book of resources, get some guidance, whatever you need, we're there for you. Um, and hopefully those office hours will extend as we we get we build our volunteer uh, group. But I'm really excited. We have some really good um, support groups lined up. One for parents of kids with eating disorders. Mm. We're hopefully going to start a teen support group, young adult male support group. So this is all that's exciting. It is. It's, it's very amazing, exciting. and it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish as an organization in like three short years, and during the challenge of a pandemic. It really is. Um, but to be able to put all of that um, in one place on your website and, you know, your social media, but then also in your new location at a Center for Hope, um, I think is a real, that's a real gift to the community to be able to thank have you. all of that in one place. So, yeah, so thank you. That's exciting. Thank you. So we're hoping that people come and take advantage of it. And we're going to have an open house so people can just come in Great. and see what it's all about. So, you know, maybe we'll take a little bit of the, the nerves out of, out of stopping mm -hmm. by. So Excellent. we'll have food. That always brings people. It's always good. We'll <laughs> yeah. be there. Yeah. <laughs> so Holly, what would you tell parents that might be in the same situation you were in a few years ago? Do you have any words of wisdom, words of encouragement, if they're kind of experiencing what you had experienced? I would tell parents first and foremost to take a deep breath. If you're noticing these little nuances, that's when you need to act. That's when you need to contact your pediatrician. That's when you need to start doing your research, go to our website, check out all the information we have on there and literally make yourself a plan. Hopefully you'll never need it, but if you do, it's ready and you have it on the go. We're at a path to hope.org. We are redoing our website right now. Our new site should be live, hopefully in the next 48 hours. I keep saying that, but hopefully, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it should be very easy to navigate very step-by-step. Step. There's literally a tab that says getting started. So just go there and, and it, it spells everything out for you. Cause you don't know what you don't know. So it can never hurt to ahead of time. Like you said, hopefully you'll never need this information, but it's the worst feeling to be in a situation where you feel concerned and worried and overwhelmed and right. not knowing what the next step is. So, right. Cause if you're, if you're in panic mode and you're fearing, I don't care what you're searching for, you're not going to be able to find it because mm. you're, you're, you're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking, you know, cohesively because you're, you're a nervous wreck. So do it when you're calm, do it when you have a minute to think, tuck it away. Like I said, and it, it's there when you need it. 
I absolutely 100% believe that treatment works and treatment looks different for everybody. What works for one person may not work for another person, but doing nothing is not an option. So just as you, if you notice your child was bleeding profusely, if you notice your child, you know, a broken bone, you wouldn't just shut the door and be like, this could be normal teenage behavior. Let's wait it out. No, you're going to act. So if you notice these things, act, don't wait. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd rather be uh, wrong about your feelings and not do anything. Absolutely. Than, so just, just act. And, and, uh, and there are, there are therapists out there that you can afford. There are options. I know it's hard to find, but I have that on my website as well. There's sliding scale providers. There's providers that offer scholarships. There's, there are ways to get treatment. There are ways. And even if it's as simple as a support group for yourself, um, start there. So Mm-hmm. So Holly, with that, you you've mentioned Center to Hope and your website. So can you just share with us all of your um, social media places where people can find you and learn more about um, A Path to Hope and your Center for Hope? Sure. So we are on Facebook. Our page is A Path to Hope. We are on Instagram uh, at A Path to Hope 1. We are on Twitter. Not as active as I would like to be, but we're working on getting someone to help us with that. Uh, again, our website is apathtohope.org. Um, and we're going to have a live Facebook feed on that website so you can see all the latest things. That's where we do most of our posting of events and things. We'll have a live calendar on there that you can click on and get more information. So, Holly, I want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. And truly, um, for all of our listeners in Chester County um, and, and nearby, you know, nearby Chester County in our region, um, we're very, very fortunate to have this resource. And I feel like we need to like multiply you a thousand times across the country because this is obviously not unique to us, but what is, I think, really unique to Chester County is that we have so many folks to take action. And we have so, we're so rich in resources and that folks will come together um, to try to support families and youth. And um, I'm really happy that you're, you're working with, um, with, our, with our community. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today and listening in. And please make sure that you check the show notes in your podcast player, and you'll see links to everything we talked about today in resources, as well as links to where you can find Holly and A Path to Hope. Um, Also, please make sure you click subscribe or follow in your podcast player so that every other Monday you're updated with the most recent episode, and that'll show up in your feed. So if you also want to leave us a review, we would very much appreciate it because that does help other parents and other people find us. So reviewing and sharing is always welcomed and appreciated. So thanks so much for joining us and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye.